You're listening to the Do More Good podcast, coming live from the Scottish Conference in Glasgow. The Do More Good podcast. Do More podcast. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast, so good for you. Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast from the Scottish Fundraising Conference here in Glasgow. Say we're live at the Scottish Conference 2022. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Uh, you're listening to the Do More Good. Oh, you uh, you're listening to the Do More Good podcast live from the Scottish Conference. Is that the Scottish Conference? We got there. So we've just finished the plenary session here at the uh, Scottish Conference and I am joined by our first guest from our series here up in Glasgow. So, synonymous with the song Somebody's Knocking at Your Door, Edinburgh-based People's Postcode Lottery launched in 2005 and its players have since raised over £850 million for good causes. With over 30 years of experience in investing in civil society for impact, championing unrestricted long-term funding before it was a thing, and recognising that relationships and trust are far more important than any paper-based process, collectively is the third largest private charity funder in the world. And this morning I'm joined by its managing director, Clara Glovia, who joined People's Postcode Lottery as a start-up in 2010, following a career in communications for the Scottish Wildlife Trust, among others. She has just given the plenary speech at the opening of the Institute of Fundraising Scottish Fundraising Conference, so we had to grab her for a cup of tea and a quick chat about her experience and view of the fundraising world. Clara, how was that, opening the sessions today? Quite an honour. Absolutely an honour, but also slightly scary, as we've been out of practice for a couple of years now, and so uh, I probably wasn't the most smooth performance, but however, you know, great to be back in a room full of enthusiasm and possibility. You, you really covered good. it well. I thought you were very calm <laughs> under pressure. It was very good. And as you say, yeah, this is all new again. We're back face to face again. I had to work out how to plug in the mics back into the kind of roving machine that we have rather than the Zoom calls that we've been doing recently. So, I, yeah, but I great know. to see everybody. Absolutely. And the, and the other thing is coming away from the Zoom picture of people that you've met before and then seeing them in reality. That's yeah. a strange thing as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's the height of people. That you, don't, yes. you, you, you can't see that from the little window that yeah, you, you get. Absolutely. So but wonderful. no, great to be here. And, I, and you know, as I say, I, I always get a lot of energy from these events and the ideas that come from them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everybody goes back from these buzzing, don't they? And this is a, this is a great example of that. Yeah. So Kenneth has prepared, he can't be with us over the next couple of days, but he has prepared some questions. And his opening one is, do you have someone's knocking at your door as your ringtone on your phone? And you hinted at this in your speech that everywhere you go, that gets mentioned or somebody slips you their postcode. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I don't have it as my ringtone <laughs> because my phone rings too much. And I hear it enough times in the day, let alone on my phone but absolutely that song has done amazing things for us it's mm. opened so many doors people remember it and you get I you go down the street and if you happen to have a postcode lottery badge somewhere then it, you get it sung at you and and that's the power of the brand and what we've achieved really is that people know who we are mm. and recognize it 
a lot of that is coming from the song. Even, you know, Radio 1, they've got the People's Postcode Lottery Boppery, which is linked to the song now. You know, when you know that it's integrated into other kind of streams and media, you know it's got somewhere, don't you? Yeah, yeah. We're going to come on to that incredible growth that you saw and, and how you've done that. But to be embedded in culture in that way is lovely, isn't it? That, that brand work that it does for you is massive. That's right. You know, and, you know, we've, we've obviously the song is written by a very famous Beatle, and actually, Sir Paul mentioned at uh, his concert in Glasgow, here's the Postcode Lottery song. Friends with Sir Paul, I'm in the presence of greatness. Oh, wow. this isn't... I mean, I, I mean that's, that's an honour in itself, isn't it? Absolutely. Be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Let's go back to the beginning. So, yes, you were the, the, the plenary speaker today and that we're both attending. But your early career, uh, what has led you to the, that stage? You started... Uh, as a volunteer, wasn't it, with, with Scottish Wildlife Trust? Uh, yeah, so it's actually, I've volunteered at the Royal Botanic Gardens. So I had graduated from university and I went all the way down to Plymouth for university and came back up when my parents were getting divorced and actually I needed a, a place to stay that was outside of the arguments, let's say, in relation to that. <laughs> yeah, my sister yeah. was based in Edinburgh and was already working at the Botanic Garden and had volunteered and got a job at the end of it. And I thought, well, there's a cheap place to stay, firstly. And secondly, I thought, well, if she's done that, and I'd just completed um, a double honours in media and history, and I thought, well, really interested in the press side of things, the communication side of things, yeah. let's see what I can do. Little did I know I'd end up doing kind of memorials and events and press, everything that they could throw at me at the Botanic Gardens. But I also got an incredible insight into a fascinating place with a lot of history. But it also probably sparked my interest in conservation, which led me then to the Scottish Wildlife Trust. And then I was very privileged to work on the actual consultation on the reintroduction to the beaver. And at that point, we became involved with the People's Postcode Lottery. So in 2005, they started in the northeast of England. And then in Scotland, it started in 2008. And I was working at the Scottish Wildlife Trust at the time. There, there was an approach from this company, this foreign company. What do we want to be involved with a gambling company, which is obviously what we are in, in essence, but in reality it's a fundraiser. Yeah. And the, the chair at the time had said, I'm not sure this is right. Anyway, we went ahead and pitched and came away going, not sure how that went. And then the money started coming in from the lottery. Initially very small amounts, you know, a few thousand, then it grew to 16,000 and then further on. And as the lottery grew, the, the receipts came in, coming back to the charity grew. And Scottish Wildlife Trust today still get over £500,000 a year from the lottery itself. Yeah. I mean, you, know? you talked just now about some of the numbers that, that you're mm. talking about with the postcode lottery. And it has massively grown. But when you very first started, so that was your introduction to yeah. them. And then you joined... And it wasn't going quite so well in this country. No, that's right. So um, after, after I'd had my first child, the Scottish Wildlife Trust was restructuring. My role was made redundant, and I took redundancy. And at that stage, I thought, I'll reassess things. And the postcode lottery came knocking on my door. <laughs> nice. And, and, and you know what? As I said in the speech, everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? And before that, I would have been must-have mortgage paid must have do everything else at that stage I was like well what have I got to lose nothing you know and actually I love the ethos I know where this could go I believe in it let's jump on board and that was the time I joined so that was back in the end of 2010 okay and you talked there a little bit about taking a bit of a gamble and giving that a go and yeah your risk appetite changed perhaps yeah absolutely Um, Gambling is, uh, let's address the gambling issue, because it's there. 
we run the lottery at Sue Rider and we're very careful about that one. Um, presumably you have safeguarding and things in place around people playing that with, with you guys. That's right. And I, I think it's, it's also, you know, you've got to think about the product type. Lotteries are the lowest form of risk in the gambling sphere. And anybody who deals with gambling per se has a responsibility to ensure it protects its customers. We're no different. We're regulated in the same way under the Gambling Commission. So, for instance, we do not sell tickets to anybody under 18. Yep. Actually, you, you only have to do plus 16 in the, in the technical rules, but we made a decision. You can only buy three tickets in one transaction and a maximum of six tickets totally. And then one of the key indicators of gambling addiction can be caused by what's called frequency of play. So I buy a ticket, I find out two minutes later if I've won or not. With our system, you sign up one month in advance to see if you've won in the following month. So the frequency is very low and therefore the addiction piece is non-existent. But ultimately, yes, everybody should be there to ensure that people are having fun and doing it in the responsible way. And so actually, just over, it's about almost 90% of our players play with one ticket, and that's £10 a month. Fine. Good stuff. And we'll get on to the winners. But one half of the winners are definitely the charities here. And you asked for a show of hands in the room as to people who had received some funding from, from you. And I was sat at the front, so I couldn't quite see, but there were lots of people around me who seemed to have their hands raised. I couldn't see to the back. But that must have been a nice moment to yeah. see so many hands. Yeah, you know. absolutely. I mean, having come from the charity sector, I appreciate it when you go out and you see see people and you go, actually, have you received funding? And the majority of people I meet have. I mean, 9,000 charities have been funded through our funds. Scotland is particularly good at charity fundraising. And uh, it has to be said it's got one of the highest rates in terms of success of applications Uh, so actually if you're living in scotland you're more likely to probably be successful in your application because there's so many good ones out there it's also harder to get the money so it it works in both ways there we go a bit of insight Mm. there there's your tactics for getting through to the next round and uh, talking maybe talking tactics then so when you started off you got some advice from the guys in the netherlands about how they were running things and promoting it that didn't quite work for our market and then you change things up and have seen crazy levels of growth since then. That's right. So back in 2011, um, we were still doing a lot of direct mail, which in the Netherlands, which I would say in marketing terms is probably 20 years behind in where we are as a, as an, as a country, yeah. if you like. They're very much geared on direct marketing, on uh, mail outs, on general large scale advertising. Um, and have got actually television programs in the Netherlands. So they've got different rules and regulations. So they're able to have, for instance, who wants to be a millionaire or you know, 15 to 1. They're able to manage and brand those as a product there. Right. We haven't got that ability here. So we thought, right, OK, let's look at a different way of doing that. And actually what we wanted to make sure is that quintessentially the lottery is about people and our people are our ambassadors and our winners are our ambassadors. So when we started introducing testimonials of people winning, pulling out the checks on the doorstep, I think most people have seen those adverts now, it was a winner, and it translated straight away to sales. And literally, I remember when one of the adverts went out, and this was the time when perhaps we were getting 10 sales in the call centre a day, I mean, really low numbers. Yeah. Literally, as soon as the advert went out, the phone started ringing, wow. and that was it, and it was incredible. That must have been an amazing week yeah. to see that impact, yeah. going from 10 calls a day to just That's massive. right, but in that year, and I may be not quite right in the figures, it's been a long time, but 
I think we were raising 21 million a year for charities at that point. The next year it went to 39 million. The next one it went to 61 million. And then it just carried on going. And yeah. it was incredible and amazing to be part of at that time mm. because everything was changing. And I like change. I'm one of those people that does like change. And we were able to deliver so quickly. Yeah. And sometimes I ask myself, when you know, as you get as a larger organisation, things slow down, you know, and everything's there. And, and sometimes I look back on those those days with rose tinted glasses, yeah, yeah, going, yeah. actually, there were three of us doing this, and we managed to do it. Yeah, it's the journey. I often say this to people: it's the journey, the bit where it's really tough, and you're achieving, and you're getting to where you want to go. When you actually get there, it might not live up to your expectations. Yeah. You look back on it, and that, that was so much fun. The, the strive to get there. Well, that, that's it, and I, and I also see team members that have only known success. Yeah. Whereas you know, when I look back, and literally on when we were in Leith. Um, in Edinburgh, in our first office building, the lease was up the next month, and we weren't sure whether we were going to make it or not. Yes. That was the reality of it. And now, you know, we're, we've got lovely offices in Charlotte Square, the team's all together, and it's a different time. Mm. But I never forget where we, c- we have come from, because it's easy, we could easily be back there as well, yeah, and it's yeah. all about us making sure and protecting what we've mm. grown. Yeah, and that must give you certain... Uh, kind of authenticity maybe perhaps that's the wrong word as a leader of the organisation that you have seen through that growth and you've seen it when it was tough and, and you're now reaping the benefits as it's a success yeah absolutely and I, and I, th- I think that's the thing is you know we, you can never take anything for granted and what we built the brand on is being authentic is that it's not about us that's why we always thank our players for the funds it's not about us we are the mechanism mm. that gets the money out and the money in yeah we're not yeah. the ones to be thanked for it. It's our players that are the donors at the end yeah. of the day. And I think that's also part of it is, you know, not being too corporate about things, not being, you know, we are accessible. So even if, if you wanted feedback on a funding application, you can ring up, you can talk to us. We're accessible. I think anybody in the charities world will say that. And likewise with our winners, we don't want to be that impersonal. You have to go through a chat room in order to reach us. We want to have conversations with both our players and our beneficiaries. Mm. Yeah. Great. Um, and you talk about the players there. And one of the bits that really resonated as a reason for playing. Now, I get on very well with my neighbours. We had a lovely Jubilee weekend. Everyone was outside partying until it started raining in South London. But lots of fun. Just really nice to spend a couple of days with them. Would I want them to pick up a big cheque and me not necessarily pick up the big cheque? That bit really, I thought, as a community... The way that it's structured, that's a brilliant marketing tool that's to encourage right. people to play. Yes. If my next-door neighbour, Joe and Terry, love them, really nice, but if they suddenly picked up a Lamborghini, I'd quite like one as well. <laughs> yeah. so. no, absolutely. I think that fear of missing out is one of the, <laughs> yeah. the marketing strengths of our brand, for sure. And, I, and you see that because, you know, we go down the streets and we literally, when you, when you win one of the big prizes, so part of the millions, we'll either go to the door and give the big winners the money or we'll have an event. And you can see the curtains twitching. <laughs> yeah, you know, and people go, what's going on here? And of course, we're not subtle in our branding. You know, yeah. you can see we're coming. Yeah, and you see people afterwards going, oh, so how do you sign up? So yeah. you end up in a lot of the cases where there have been big wins. You see an upturn in sales as a result. I bet, yeah. I bet, yeah. Jimbo is off at the bar, which makes a change, and means I can tell you about the website, domoregood.uk. There you'll find profiles, blog posts, previous episodes, and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod, plus you can find us on LinkedIn. We've even started a TikTok. 
Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute, are they Shandies? So one of the big winners is the charities and the organisations that you support. And there were four C's that you talked about, about how you do that. So change around flexible long-term funding, creativity, you're able to take more risks with those investments and go for things that perhaps wouldn't necessarily win through other pitch processes. Collaboration, so partnerships with charities, and, and we'll touch on that. And then, as you say, that community, that, that, that feeling of people walking, working towards something together. Um, that's a lovely model to work around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the thing is that there are different elements that each of these kind of funding streams brings to our pot, if you like. The long-term funding is the, the kind of fundraising gold that everybody wants, and it's the unrestricted nature. But we want to see where, where organisations are really shifting their model to make themselves more impactful. So we always ensure that charities know, you know, charities are the expert. I think it's, it's quite condescending from funders when they say, here's your money, this is how you spend it. That's wrong in my book. It should be about actually what's the where are the areas where you could have most impact and how can we support you doing it. That's the conversation we have. So it's starting from a different point. But you would you would hope when as you provide that sustainable and long term funding, you've got levels of impact that change over that period because again it enables them to release different funds from different funding sources. So you have a match of project funding and the core funding that we can support. And it brings this marriage of possibilities, I think, for charities to do more with what they've got. Yeah, yeah, really nice, really nice. And as you say, you can take more risks and you can go after those projects that... That's right, that's right. people might not. That's right. So, you know, some of, the, some of the projects that have been supported in the past have been the first of... I think, again, this comes back to we've become quite a risk-averse environment. Well, actually, as we've seen there needs to be changes within some of the, the systems that we have to enable us to actually release more support to the communities in which we're working. So some of that does require risk. That requires different approaches. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't shy away from those because they could fail. We should say, actually, if they fail, we're going to learn and we'll get something better at the end. And that's, that's also part of the way that we will work with charities. Yeah, lovely stuff. You went through a few case studies. You showed a couple on the, on the screen. Um, one was with MDIF, so the, the Media Development Investment Fund, one of the stats in there, so you, you, they mentioned that 83% of the world's population has no access to a free press, which, that was quite shocking. Yeah, it's uh, staggering, that, isn't it? Yeah, that was quite staggering. amazing. I mean, the Do More Good podcast is obviously free press. We're <laughs> um, and you gave to that, and there's a lovely case study about supporting that, and that was the, the whole global fund that gave to that. That's right. So, you know, the power of having lotteries working across numerous different countries is that we're all aware of the kind of global trends and things that we're seeing across things. So... Girls' education has been a kind of foundation block that we have always focused on, always believed that if you invest in education, there are so many spin-off benefits, and um, particularly for girls. Um, so we've done that on a long-term basis. So, for instance, in some of the refugee situations, we've trialled and, and supported double shift schooling so Syrian refugees may go in the morning and then the traditional group of school children go in the afternoon or they mix however they do it the things you're able to trial because you come together as a collective for a common goal or a a common belief in something that needs to change in the case of MDIF I think we're all aware that social media and all the other instruments the control of the media isn't necessarily in the, like the benefit of having the BBC here, we don't, you know, we don't have that necessarily in other countries. And so, where do they get the news sources from? I think, I think the the war in the Ukraine has shown that very clearly, how that's controlled and why it isn't a good thing. So, yeah, really very proud to be part of this program that will support these independent news providers because it's so important for part of our democracy. 
Yeah. And also, I would say, security across countries too. Yeah, and for you, that must be amazing to say that you've worked in so many different areas and you've impacted in so many different ways. That must yeah. be lovely, personally, for you. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, it, I'm exceptionally privileged to do what I do, and I think anybody that says otherwise in the postcode lottery is really not telling <laughs> the truth. Because, yeah, we, we get the benefit of making people happy through their wins, but also seeing the impact of those charities and the change that happens as a result. That brings me on quite nicely to the next point, which was a lovely little segment that you did around uh, the Dream Fund, uh, and that's specifically aimed at innovative ideas. So that moment of opening up a question of what if. What if we won some money here? What could we spend it on? You talked about missing people, whiz kids and their kind of dream wheelchair, children first. And then there was a brilliant one about a bison ranger. I mean, I'm going to be applying for that role. That oh sounds incredible. Goodness, yeah, absolutely. But that is a kind of concept of what if. Give me your most out there idea and we might fund it. I know. It's, it's an incredible fund. And it's something we've been thinking about for the last few years is that that fund needs to be the flagship. That one needs to show, actually, we can make some changes if we invest in it significantly. So mm. the new pot of £5 million for a single award yeah. is going to be a game changer. But I am really excited about the possibility of what that could bring. But it's always that case, as you say, is, is it enough? You know, what can we do differently? What could come out of these ideas? What mm. could we trial? And yet, so the Duchenne and WizKids model was really interesting, working with the University of Edinburgh to come up with a, a wheelchair that helps Duchenne and mus- muscular dystrophy sufferers particularly, but grows with the child. These kind of all singing and dancing chairs are not cheap, yeah. and we want them to make it an affordable one that can grow with the child. But it's incredible. The, the prototype is controlled through Bluetooth application, through your iPhone. And, you know, we all know kids use the technology more than we do (laughs) and so they're whizzing around they can have different colored lights i mean it grows with them it doesn't it's an extension of them it's not a hindrance to them and that was the importance piece from that particular Mm. project yeah so yes so some brilliant project i mean i could go on for years about some of the stuff we've seen but i think what we what we love about it is people do have creativity just give them the space and give them the chance and Um, actually some of the stuff you get is brilliant and this is maybe two points on that perhaps that you're right people are really creative and maybe over the last couple of years we've had to be and we've innovated and done things differently we've controlled our wheelchairs through our iPhones and much much more than that and um, but also everybody in the charity sector it feels that I talk to is super busy and aren't so a there are loads of really creative ideas out there and b uh, people have become so busy that they don't have the time to actually focus on that whereas this forces that issue it's got to be innovative, it's got to be yeah. new, it's got to be something different. Yeah, and you know, there's different conversations that come from that. The most mm. unusual partners come together as a result of some of these discussions. And you see that, you do see that. But I think, I think again, yeah, people are busy, but are they busy on the right stuff? Yeah. And, that, and I think that needs to come back to the leadership point of actually giving the space to individuals. And fundraisers, you know, I have an incredible admiration for them. They've been through a really tough time. They'll come out stronger and better for this. And they'll come up with great new ideas. But also what they need to ask is, what we did before, is it right now? Yeah, it's a nice point to reflect, isn't it? And Virginia, who gave the the kind of introduction to you, Mm. gave a lovely summary of that over the last couple of years about how people have been through but need to reflect and consider where they're going and what they want to do. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But I, I also am a supporter of the fact that we need to get talent into the charity sector because I think the hemorrhaging of 
of people out of the sector is not going to be a good thing in the long run no. for any of us, no. let's be honest. And you, A, when you mentioned the £5 million fund, there was a definite shuffling of papers and people immediately beginning to scribble and start planning for that for the applications later this year. And then you went on to trends that you have seen as a funder, which is really interesting for us as a, as a kind of fundraising sector that, that sometimes we don't get that. We don't get that kind of view from your side. Yeah. And you did. You talked about... Where have the good guys gone? And CEOs leaving and moving elsewhere. Smaller charities needing support. Cost of living crisis is going to affect us all. We are certainly seeing that. And I love the bit about it's about trust, not paperwork. Again, cutting down on the busyness yeah. uh, and how you support people through unrestricted funds. That's right. That's right. I mean, I I remember you know we looked when we were looking at the application forms for our our kind of regular kind of community grants programs. When we started out, there were six pages. Now we have one page. Right. You know, these, these are the things that, you know, actually, if you're looking for reassurance on paper, you don't necessarily get it. You know, everybody can present different accounts. There's due diligence you can do behind the scenes, but at the end of the day, ultimately, it's about your gut feeling, how that interaction is going to happen, and whether the people there are the right people. Um, so I'm a firm believer that actually it's the relationship. So when you when you probably have seen lots of different stories about charities in the press over the years, we're probably one of the funders that know about that before it's gone out because we're a trusted partner. Mm. Because we're not going to step away and when the times are tough. If that charity is impactful and doing a good job, but yes, there are safeguarding issues, and I'd always be worried actually if there were no safeguarding issues being reported rather than if there was one. Well, absolutely. If you don't go fishing, you won't catch fish. So, yeah, if exactly. you're not looking for it. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think we maybe have different measures that we need to reassess in relation to how we look mm. at charities and, and how we look at what they do going forward. And, and certainly yeah. one of the tasks that it always has with the team is, do we need that information? Are we asking too much? Do we really need that report? What bits can we cut out, not what bits we can add? Yeah. That's a, that's a refreshing point of view. That's, that's nice to hear. Yeah, a nice approach. Um, I have one more question for you on the postcode lottery before we move on a little bit to, to conferences. You had some big names popping up on the screen there. Mr. Clooney was up there. Rafa Nadal. Vorderman. Big fan. Jeff Brazier. Which one is your favourite? Well, I dined out on quite a lot to do with George Clooney, I have to say. <laughs> um... George came to our gala uh, back in 2019, I think it was, yeah, with um, Amal, his wife, who is yep. fantastic as well. Mm. And I dined out on the fact that I was able to claim that he came to my bedroom. So I was yes. staying in the same hotel. Nothing untoward and nothing for the Daily Mail to kind of comment <laughs> on here, but he used my bedroom for an interview. Oh, that is, that so is that a great claim to fame. So that helped me for a lot of uh, conversations in the future of that one. But, yeah, I have to say, George is fantastic absolutely authentic his charity actually there's the Clooney Foundation and the Century so if you think of the Al Capone days of follow the money and you get to the bad guy pretty much essentially that's what they do it's it's based on forensic accounting it's looking at putting pressure on banks if perhaps a dictator is banking or or putting funds into their bank actually this is the source of it how do we put pressure on you how do we close that account wow so really technical stuff and not necessarily front-facing that you'll know about but really important stuff and incredible team behind it and the Clooney Foundation looks at the infrastructure of the court systems in areas perhaps that don't have the democracy or there's corruption going on and detail what 
issues are happening and and what should needs to be cl- needs to be changed and they raise awareness through his celebrity and a male yeah, celebrity yeah, yeah. to do that so incredible Both. individuals and amazing people to sit next to at dinner well when we finally get him on when we get him on the show, we'll, we'll, we'll bring this back up. But how, yeah, even more of a fan of the guy. What a, what a yeah, good I mean, as I say, what you get with him is, is total integrity. And if you could ask him any question and he would know the answer on that charity. He's not just a figurehead. He's embedded into mm. that charity. Okay. I said that was final question, but actually you've reminded me of something else. Talking of foundations, you are the third largest funder in the world. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Something um, we're incredibly proud of. It's obviously it's the collective group, so all the postcode lotteries across all the countries. Yeah. But yes, over eleven billion has been raised by our players so far, and um, yeah, it's that's that's amazing. So yeah, you're th- you're third. There was was it Welcome Trust just ahead of Welcome you Trust pushing and them? Bill and Melinda. And Bill and Melinda. We're going for them. Yeah, that's yeah. who we're after. We're chasing them. We're, so. we're chasing them, but who knows after what's happening on the divorce stakes where that's going to split <laughs> up? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, our, asp- our aspiration has always been, actually, how do we raise more? Mm. You know, how do we get more for the charities and how as a group we can impact on a better world for everyone? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. We're early on in the Scottish Conference at the moment, but it, you've enjoyed this morning. It's been yes. nice to see everybody yeah. face to face. Really good and really good to see some familiar faces and some new ones. Yeah. And yeah, excited to see what happens for the rest of the day. Good stuff. Uh, before I let you go, I've already kind of prepped you a little bit that we've got some cards in front of you. Yes. We always do a little bit of a quick fire round just to wrap things up. I've got our usual questions, but actually we have, we have Scotland-specific questions this time. So I've printed them on cards. People will have heard these on the main episode where I've been vox-popping people as we go and, and forcing them to pick a card and answer one for me. So if you could just read out the question and give me your answer. Okay. Coffee, tea or tequila? <laughs> Oh, I have to say tequila. Yes, and it is about 10 o'clock in the morning, so that is great work. No, I, I have to say, you know what, if you can't have fun in what you do, then you shouldn't be doing it. And, and I think, as anybody would know me, I like socialising, I like meeting people, I like chatting with people. So Excellent tequila helps stuff. those conversations. Brilliant. Go with the second one for okay. me. Okay. What is the best advice you've ever been given? I think it's really quite straightforward. Just be yourself. People see a fraud. People don't can see through whether you are actually not being yourself completely. And I think as long as you're authentic, it can create a kind of values that you can permeate through whatever you do. Holy agree. Uh, one more for us, then. You've got okay. Three. One more to go. If you were to, gi- if you could give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Oh goodness. That's a really, really tough one. Gosh, I'm going to think about this one. I, I would say my 20-year-old self was pretty, you know, I didn't take things too seriously. Yeah. I probably never thought I'd be in this position. Yeah. So probably it would be, actually, everything will be all right. Things will turn out and whatever happens will happen. Nice. Great stuff. Well, you have, you're off this afternoon because you have another event to head to. I do, yes. You've got your, your work day away, yes. away day. Who knows what will happen there? Well, what we, what we do there is we recognise some of our team players. So we have um, what's called core values. And so the team vote for people in the team to receive recognition. So nice. it's always a great time to celebrate with the team and just yeah. energise, get yeah. together. 
yeah, it feels like that's uh, that's gonna that's gonna come through strongly over the next couple of days, and you're doing the same. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, to be voted by your peers as well, that that counts more, yeah, doesn't it? Absolutely, it's really nice. absolutely. Clara, it's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you very and much you? for your time. Uh, we'll speak to you soon. If, if if anyone wants to reach out and and talk to you, are you on social media? At yeah, all, I'm or? on Twitter and on LinkedIn. So just find me, contact me. I'm there. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much. No problem. Cheers. That was great. Just before we go, can we ask you a favour? If you enjoyed this episode and you made it this far after all and want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd really love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good. Mm -hmm.